Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. Joining me in the studio right now, I'm very happy to have on Avi Liron, who is the Chief Delighting Officer of Delivering Delight. Avi, good morning. Welcome to morning. Money FM. How are you doing today? Feeling blessed and grateful to oh. be here. Oh, it's so, so great to have you. You've got your Let's Delight t-shirt on today. I've got mine on as well, so <laughs> we'll take a good picture afterward. What is Delivering Delight, This is the, the company that you have started that you are, that you are running? Tell us about it. Well, we actually started, we wanted to bring fun to the workplace. And then our first client was Marriott in Singapore in 2006. Hmm. And then things start changing and they got uh, higher scores of service and they called us back and back. And that's how it started. And we realized, hey, what's really happening? So we went to study a little bit about positive psychology, behavioral economy. I'm an economist. So it was fascinating. So we created a program where you start to have fun and afterwards you get the science behind it. Mm. And it really rocks. Now, you come from a very much a PNL background. You were the trade commissioner for Israel uh, here in Singapore, uh, putting together billions of dollars worth of deals. As you mentioned, you're an economist with an MBA. And this topic, you know, being the chief delighting officer can sound a bit soft to business people. You know, when you think, oh, delight, okay, but what's the bottom line? But there really is, this is a bottom line driven uh, business in addition to just not only being happy and, and showing delight and within your office and for your customers, there is a real economic reason for this as well. Absolutely. Otherwise, we would be out of business. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for so sure. Right? Let me give you a little bit of statistics. Uh, sure. First, when we see cultures, there are several cultures. Mm. You have transactional cultures that uh, the south point is toxic mm. and you have cordial culture and on the other end you may have too pleasing culture mm. and the soft spot in between is the delightful culture with the combination of the head on the heart so a little bit of statistics mm. so i'll ask the audience you know if you are following a leader that is only transactional he doesn't care about you at all how much discretionary offer it will you give so they did this survey with 60,000 people. It published on HBR in 2009. And they found out that only 14% will be willing to follow or giving the discretion effort. Oh. And then they ask, okay, so what do you do if you have a really great, caring leader and he is uh, not really delivering the results? Mm -hmm. And to their astonishment, they found that the following level is even less, is 12%. Right. Now, what happened when you combine the results and the heart, that's where you have a multiplier. That's where you have 72%. Wow. And what we pitch to companies is not to just do the fluffy, but you have to combine both because people need to be acknowledged for who they are, be respected, be appreciated, create a safe environment, and on and on. So there's a lot of research supporting that. And let me give you some data. According mm. to Gallup, when you have a delightful culture in that 72% or more zone, you get 10% better customer experience rating. You have 22% better profitability, 21 productivity, and 37% on sales. Of course, happier people sell better. They're more yeah. optimistic. They're more listening. They're more compassionate. And yeah, and you have... On the other side, the down thing is mm. you have less absenteeism, you have less burnout, and you have less safety incidents. And let me tell you, it's almost 50% less safety problems. Huh. Avi, you know, many managers, many leaders 
I have seen in my years of business still lead from what I would call a very old school mentality, which is, uh, you know, really bearing down on the employees, um, leading from a position of disrespect, almost, if I can put it that way, you know, very hard nosed employers. And I am always amazed to see that that still is happening in our work culture today. People, despite all the great research and information that's come just in the last, let's say, 20 years, some some business leaders still believe that the best way to get results is to crack the whip, you know, figuratively speaking, in the office. Do you see that this mindset is is changing in Singapore uh, and elsewhere? Uh, of course, your work is global. But do, do you really feel like there is a groundswell of, of upper leaders that know, C-suite leaders that know, you know what, that old style just doesn't work anymore? Absolutely. And I see that they want also to measure it. You see, a lot of things that sounds flaffy, if you just get inspiration and you don't really measure things, Mm. you're not going to go anywhere. So I see CEOs deeply concerned when they see a drop of their engagement. They see engagement survey. And then what? You need to have an intervention that changes. So yes, there are some toxic people. And when you have a toxic leader in your organization, if you allow such a toxic person, it will infiltrate everywhere. When we interviewed uh, Gary Rich, the CEO of WD40, he Mm. said that when he has a toxic leader, he sends them to the competition. <laughs> and I, That's very clever, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you, if you are a toxic leader, you know, the problem is some of the toxic leaders don't know that they are. Oh. And they have a good heart. And they don't understand why they are wearing the people off. Burning them out, wearing them yes. down, that sort of thing, right? Yes. And yeah. when they call us and they're so excited and they want to be so good, and when we interview their team, we find out the back arrows to that person that mm. suddenly you talk about disrespect. Imagine you go to an office and you're sitting at your boss. You have one hour with your boss, but 55 minutes out of that, the door is open. People coming in, the, uh, he, that person is looking at their mobile phone, answering everything, and you feel so small at that point of time. Mm. And that person actually doesn't really understand I love them. I want them to be successful. (laughs) So some of the toxic leaders are actually not really toxic leaders. They just need to take the medication. And if they come and think, so in our program, we have two parts. One part is why of leadership. Why do you lead? Why should they follow you? And then how about leading with values? What are your values? So here is an interesting thing. If I ask any person, try to ask 10 persons, what are your top five personal values? Hmm. The first reaction it will be that my personal values, people will try to buy time. The second, interestingly, will be that integrity. Yeah. One of the first two. And the third thing that will happen is 90% of them will get stuck at three values. And what that means that when you try to teach values in a traditional way, it doesn't work. It doesn't clap. Yeah. So what we need is for leaders is to think about why do you lead? What do you want to achieve? And what happens with the delightful leaders? They have one common thing. They want to develop successful other leaders. So when we think about these these tools to become a delightful leader, you do workshops, you do individual coaching, uh, you work with huge groups, you work with small groups. What are some of the tools that practical tools you can give to leaders to develop this culture of delight, to make them a chief delighting officer? 
Well, first, I think that everybody's a chief delighting officer. It just, it's like a mobile setting in the phone. Mm. If you are not delighting, you are on airplane mode where you are disconnecting, you are focused on yourself, you're focused just on a result. And the other side is delight mode. So everybody has the potential to become a chief delighting officer. Mm. Tools. Okay, first tool, measure. Measure your culture. We use a tool that is called Barrett, one of the tools that we're using, and we measure the values in the company. What are the current values of each person? Okay. What do they experience at the workplace? And what is the desired? And when you take the aggregation of the entire company and you divide it according to groups, and then you take the leaders to see the results, it's like you're giving them a scan, an MRI, what's going on. <laughs> and you know, in, in a lot of culture, not only in Asia, there is lose face. Yeah, of course. And people try not to argue, and there's a lot of things that need to be clean. But once you have the scan and everybody put the name on it, and it's not personal, it's anonymous, and you get all the data, teams in Singapore are very geared in order to work this out. They see, okay, we want to be athletic, we want to be the Olympics, but we have a problem in our knee. If we keep on running like that, we're never going to be Olympic. We want to go for the gold. Yeah. But if we examine what happened, we could heal, stay for a few months, and it's a process. It's not like inspiration. It's a process where you get the leadership to work about what are the gaps, what is the entropy level, and then measure it again a year later. Mm, mm. And then when you get them together, they're very concerned and they're very geared to open up and do the workout together. So it's a journey rather than yeah. just snap it, a workshop, kumbaya, dance. Not that we're not dance, not that we don't have fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Avi, you mentioned culture in there. Are some more predisposed to a delighting attitude than others or are others less predisposed to it? Does it culturally, does it make a difference if you're working with ethnic Chinese or Malays or Indonesians or Vietnamese or whomever? I think deep inside... All of us are humans. And to my surprise, uh, when we worked with some companies that are multinationals, actually the Asians are doing very well. And to my surprise, sometimes... Doing very well in, in what way? Uh, in opening up, in uh, deciding that they want to be activating the chief delighting officer. Okay. And sometimes there is more skepticism uh, with the Westerners. So when you give them the data, when you give them the reason behind any kind of intervention. They believe that they want to be there. They want to connect. Everybody wants innately to connect. Yes, it takes maybe a longer time to, you know, when you cook like a chef, you need to give more time for starting up and build up the momentum. But I would say in every culture, I would see delightful leaders and I would see the transactional leaders. Mm. And the younger generation is fantastic. They want to be delighting and delighters. And yeah. it, it was interesting. I saw, I saw you in action a couple of weeks ago doing a workshop for about 25, 30 people. And at the beginning, every, in, here in Singapore, and at the beginning, everybody was quite reserved, uh, very hard to get them to be emotive as you were asking them to do various activities, let's put it that way. But by the end of that just morning session, you could not sit the people down. Uh, everybody was so excited. And I have to say that a fair amount of that energy was driven by the leader of the group, by their chairman by their president. Um, is, that, is that pretty common? Do you find at the beginning sometimes they're a little bit shy or reserved, but then they, they warm up quite quickly? Because that's certainly what I observed. The answer is yes. And very interestingly, some of my clients are introverts mm. and you won't believe it. 
Yeah. And giving themselves an allowance uh, to perform and and lead that that is a great thing for everybody because they get permission when the sea level is doing everything with them. You had an interesting story example of one of your clients here when uh, Marina Bay when yeah. you when you did a program with them. Tell us tell us what that how that went because I think that's a really fun example. Well, when Marina Bay uh, Sand started, they had tough. Tough beginning, you know. You you get eight thousand ten, ten years ago already, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you get eight thousand eight hundred people to the biggest property, mm. and guess what? There's so many thousands of guests coming in and cleaning, and there were teething problems, and there were change of COOs. One of them was a little bit uh, toxic. He would go to people and say, "You're fired," mm. and you know what kind of uh, show uh, yeah. is that? And there was a lot of fear. So they got a really fantastic uh, customer service uh, platform, but they got stuck. Like they had the highway, but they got stuck at the tollway. Mm. And then they called us. We worked with them for about seven months, and we moved the needle from 140 places in TripAdvisor together with us. They went to 36. But Mm. I don't want to take a credit for that. I think that the credit should go to the COO at that time, Benny Zin. When he took us. He was the new one that that was brought on. Yeah, he was promoted after that gentleman have left. And what he said at the first start, at the the morning of our first workshop, he said, if you don't want to be a chief delighting officer here, if you don't want to be caring, you don't want to have joy over here, please prepare a CV and go to Sentosa. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he would do the f- full few days, even though it's not easy for him, he was in his 60s, and he had to dance with everyone. And at the end, he would give each one personally the certificate and shake the hand and make sure that they know that this is a family. You're going to take care of the people because that's going to be the culture thereafter. And prudently, he came to each one of the workshop and he did that. And I think when there is a commitment, we don't take work without the C-level commitment. Because afterwards, mm. if you're going to go back and the C-level will start to be transactional again, everything will fade away. Everything falls and, apart. Yeah, and they're going to be disbelief and dismay. What is one or two things that somebody could do tomorrow to start moving toward this this area of delight? What could they do starting tomorrow, Monday morning? I would say not only sea level. If you want to be a leader, um, let me ask you a question as a leader. I'm, go- I'm going to give you the answer. <laughs> what is the one action, which is a mindset, that if you do it consistently, conditioned, unconditionally, continuously, you will gain much more trust, you will have much more influence. Even if you're a new person, you're going to feel a sense of belonging mm. and all the environment's going to be happy. Let me repeat that. Mm. One action, mm. one way of life, one attitude that if you do it unconditionally, yeah. consistently and continuously, it will be the quickest way for you to earn trust, gain influence, get to feel a sense of belonging and be happier together. I don't know. What is that? That, that sounds fantastic. Con- contribution. And if you see that consistently they are not responding well, I declare these kind of people as black holes. Once you see your hand disappear, take it back. Mm. 95% of the world really wants to be delight and delight you back. Yeah. So contribution is number one. Think about your employees. What is the contribution that you make to their life? Mm. How are you going to develop them? 
If you have the contribution, just one word. I don't want to give you two things. Just focus on that. Yeah. Interesting. Avi, how do people find you if they want to know more about how to become a chief delighting officer? Aviliran.com or deliveringdelight.com. All right. Avi Liran, chief delighting officer of Delivering Delight. Thank you so much for being with us on, on uh, Weekend Mornings today. Thank you so much, Glenn. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.